Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. You can see us as part of the Burnt Orange Nation podcast feed, so leave us a rating or a review there. You can also uh, subscribe wherever you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of those great places, and feel free to follow us at Longhorn Pod for all of your best snarky Texas Longhorn takes and taking the occasional shot at uh, OU fans because that's my favorite thing to do in the world. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am Every week. And my co-host is quiet as a shadow, quick as a snake, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Big uh big no spoilers, team no spoilers here. I will I will say nothing related to the Avengers or Game of Thrones. I'll just say I'm uh I, I, I'm doing well. I'm doing as well as Ghost, at least. Um that I think that means I'm alive. I don't know. No one knows. How do we know? Anyways, I'm doing well. How are you, G? I'm flying high like a blue-eyed dragon. That's where I'm that's sitting good. right now. That's a better. Feeling good. Yeah, that's nice, man. No, this was a... The, the, the folks at home need to know. This was a, a big weekend. We were very nearly close to doing this podcast at the same place uh, this weekend. We were at a wedding. I drove home to Houston. I had to get back for some work on Monday. Unfortunately, couldn't stick around to do it. But uh, here we are. I mean, we just saw each other in person, and now we're we're back podcasting. So it's a good week, good weekend for me. That's a... Enough Gerald to start my week off right. I think this is only the second time ever that this podcast has been fully recorded in the state of Texas. Both sides of the podcast in the state of Texas. So it feels good. So we've got a little bit of draft news for you. So we brought on uh, somebody who's actually smart and knows what the heck they're talking about. Thor Nystrom of Roto World came in and gave us a little bit of a NFL draft. He also is a KU alum, so we had him talk a little bit of Kansas football. Got a little fiery, which is going to be exciting. Uh, We've also uh, got a little bit of baseball. Baseball finally snapped their losing streak, but is in a position to potentially miss out on a Big 12 tournament berth. And then obviously we'll down the 40, bringing you all of the latest from those sports that don't get enough shine. We'll just go ahead and say it. And obviously we'll close the show out like we do every week with some bang the drum. The NFL draft has come and gone, and, and we wanted to take a moment to, to break down where the Texas players landed, uh, and we wanted to get somebody that actually knew what they're talking about, because Kyle and I, we're okay at best, so we wanted to get somebody who actually has some expertise in the area, so we brought on, have the privilege of talking to Thor Nystrom, who is the senior college football writer and NFL draft analyst for RotoWorld.com. Thor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. So uh, let's let's just jump in, man. One of the one of the biggest things, the stories around the Texas Twitter sphere is Charles Amenahu, a guy who a year ago decided he would come back, uh, play his senior year, hopefully improve his draft stock. Ended up uh, being named the Big Twelve Defensive Lineman of the Year. Had like eighteen and a half tackles for loss. Um, ended up going right. in the fifth round, the hundred sixty first pick to the Houston Texans. So he gets to stay in state at least but but from your perspective Thor why you know why was the fall there because there were you know outlets that had him going as high as the third round so like what did what did we not see or what did other people not see that that caused that fall yeah well first off he made the right decision to go back clearly um you know he, he played a lot better in 2018 than he had before and I think that's what made him draftable period I, I think if he declared a year ago I, I don't think he gets drafted and the reason he fell down and I I was one of the folks that did give him, I think I gave him a, either a mid to late round pre-grade. Um, but the reason he fell, it wasn't terribly surprising to me just because it's like a, it's like a thing where, um, it, it, not like Tetris or something like that, but like he is such a specific kind of player. He is a 3-4 defensive mm. end only. You know, and when, when I was doing his evaluation, I was sort of trying to talk myself into this idea that like, you know, potentially he could be, you know, like a 4-3 uh, you know, or yeah, a four, three, three technique, but I just don't think that's possible for him. Um, and, and, and so like, I, I think you sort of have to just view him as a, as a three, four defensive end. And because of that, you just don't have as many landing spots for him. And, and, you know, it's, it's sort of like, uh, I'll give you guys a, an example, like Will Greer, Will Greer went at least around later than he should have. And it's not because the NFL necessarily is down on Will Greer. It's just because the teams that needed quarterbacks, they got them earlier with other guys. You know, Dolphins obviously, you know, being a a team that traded for one, you know, after day one of the draft or whatever, they filled their quota. 
And I think, you know, the, the only other teams that might have needed a quarterback or, or maybe should have taken a guy like Will Greer, they maybe whiffed on the eval or, you know, had a, had a much lower grade on him or whatever. And so that's why he ended up falling to, I believe, Will Greer went something like 100th overall or whatever. It's very similar with the men who, the, you know, the only teams in the league that could even think about drafting him were three, four teams. So, so now all of a sudden you've tossed out a big percentage of the league or whatever. And then some of those other teams, they, they may just not have been looking for an end early on. And it, it just caused him to float down the board a little bit. You know, my, I tried to do this research cause I was looking the same thing for Chris Nelson who landed with the Steelers. Um, there's only 12 teams that I saw last year that ran three, four as you know, predominantly heavy base defense set. So, I mean, it, it maybe maybe the, the Texas fan perspective, because we saw um, Chuck in, in that, in that outside role, maybe we thought he flexed a little bit more, but that actually makes a lot more sense. If he's, if he's in that same boat where, you know, a third of the league is, is the only landing spot, you know, at least the, at least the hometown Texans seems to be a pretty fitting spot. But uh, I think there is a chip that will, will sit on a man shoulder. And I think he's a guy who might just, uh, might just have something to prove. I think he could be a, you know, a pretty solid starting three, four defensive end, but like, the, the issue for him, you know, again, when you, you talk about his projection or whatever, I mean, heck, look at his PFF page. It, it spells it out pretty pretty good. As a pass rusher, he did not do a ton in college. What what he's good at is fighting on the edge, setting the edge, playing the run, you know, being a sort of spiritual leader. Um, I'll tell you guys the first time Charles Amena, who jumped on my radar, this is not going to be a great memory uh, for Texas fans, but it certainly is for Kansas Jayhawk fans. And I happen to be a Kansas Jayhawk alum. I was watching this game live when the, uh, the end of the Charlie Strong era, and it seemed like most yeah. of the team, you know, most of the Texas team didn't really care that they were getting embarrassed and upset by, by Kansas, whatever year this was, you know, 2015 or whatever it was. A young Charles Amenahu, and you can watch this back. If, if you go to the YouTube highlights at the very end of that game, Charles Amenahu, and I believe he was a freshman, was going absolutely ballistic on on the sideline. And, you know, he was probably in the wrong. You know, I I, I would assume that he was in the wrong with whatever he was doing. But he cared. When uh, the entire program didn't really seem to care, Charles Amenahu cared. Um, and, and you see that on the field. He's he's an absolute fighter. Um, you know, he's again, he's a guy that's going to set the edge. He's going to occupy blockers. I, I think he's a guy who could be a very solid uh, three, four defensive end. But it's just too difficult to project him to do absolutely anything else because the pass rushing is just not there. And that is that's been kind of a part of uh, a man whose highlight package for the last several years is that uh, or at least from my play, from my standpoint. Now, I never condone throwing your helmet and throwing a tantrum, but it showed, like you said, <laughs> that he cares. Yeah. And, and in that 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 situation, that was unique. You know, again, it was yes. just like, man, this this Texas program is really checked out under Strong. I mean, it was obvious that Strong had to go, but there was one player out of all of them that was clearly not checked out. I mean, Amenahu, if they would have restarted a second game right after, like, let's play two, he would have been absolutely all in yeah. down to play. So uh, that that impressed me. And like that. I said, that, that was the attitude he played with his whole career. I, I like that kid for mm-hmm. those reasons. You know, who knows? Maybe, maybe it even – flattered his eval in my mind a little bit, but I am really confident that he can develop into a quality three, four starting defensive. And I don't know. I don't ever think he's going to be a star or nothing like that, but um, I, right. I absolutely right. think that he could start in the league. So I guess we can move on and talk about the other, the only other Texas player that was drafted uh, Chris Boyd, number two seventeen in round seven, I believe to the Minnesota Vikings joining a guy who actually committed to Texas on the same day that he did Holton Hill, who, is going to be held out for a little bit due to uh, some uh, policy issues that he's running into in Minnesota. Uh, but how does how does a guy like Chris Boyd, who has a lot of the physical tools but hasn't necessarily shown it as consistently on the field, fit into you know a potential future development plan for Minnesota and, and in the league overall? Yeah. Well, first off, I was a little bit surprised that Boyd fell that far. Um, you know, t- some guys had him higher than me. Um, I know that. Uh, trying to think who it was i think i think it was daniel jeremiah someone t- I, I saw in a tweet like that he i don't know he had him in the top 100 or something i didn't have him quite that high i had him one uh 134 overall but even so i mean way above excuse me he ended up going 217 um yeah i mean i i, I think he fits in pretty well in minnesota at least as far as a round seven flyer goes we knew, and, and by the way, for everyone listening, I'm, I'm coming to you live from Minneapolis right now. Um, <laughs> and a big Vikings fan, by the way. I love Holton Hill. Um, 
it, you know, as far as Boyd goes, there the Vice were looking for a developmental corner late. That's what they wanted. Um, you know, uh, Mackenzie mm-hmm. Alexander is a guy who's going to be a free agent after this year. They wanted to bring a guy in and, and, and you know, and just sort of see. Boyd was the perfect guy. I mean, he fell down the board for whatever reason. Probably should have gone at least two rounds before he ended up going. Um, you know, some of these things, it's hard to say why. You know, there, there's a lot of guys that I thought should have been drafted that weren't. And, you know, Boyd is an example of a guy that, you know, for me, should have gone quite a bit higher. But, uh, you know, you're talking about a 5'11", uh, 201, 70th percentile athleticism. And his RAS score, you know, RAS, for, for people that don't know, it's a, it's a size-adjusted uh, and uh, a testing-adjusted measure or testing-weighted. Uh, metric by position and he he scored over a nine in that and it's basically at a, a 10 scale where 10s you know the greatest cornerback athlete of all time so so boyd has the athleticism and all that I, I think he's got the game too he's a stout kid he is under six feet but uh that the, there's enough tools there and he did enough stuff that that he should have gone higher than that so i i think the vikings were probably pretty freaking excited you know they waited till the seventh round to get that talented uh, fell down the board if he shows them something in camp um you know he, he could carve out a niche you know with with that team and they're gonna have some guys leaving so i i, I think it's a really good landing spot for him and as guys who, who got to watch chris boyd every week it was always i'll, I'll tell you this it's it's going to be a, a joy to watch him when when you know the locked in apex predator version of chris boyd um is playing i think his his top is like a second or third round talent but it's you never know that's between the ears less than the physical where, where you get with him and maybe that's something in the nfl if it with a good secondary coach and and just being around that level of talent that coaches out but i mean he does have that elite talent but we always called it paying the boyd tax you know for every two unbelievable unfathomably good plays you you would get just kind of a boneheaded one that didn't cancel it out but you know just kind of sunk your 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 heart a little bit after watching you know what he could do if he could lock it in every play yeah he's he's a kid who last year you know you 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 look at his his like advanced stats or whatever he was one of the best cornerbacks in the nation in run defense and he was one of the best corners in the nation in tackling efficiency you know and and so he he has some of those things where like for instance uh greedy williams exact opposite end of that spectrum he does not want to contribute and, and run support <laughs> whatsoever um and he's kind of like an ole type type tackler he, he does not want to get away <laughs> boyd's got those things plus boyd's got the has been like 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 you mentioned i mean there there were a lot of inconsistencies there and i you know that's probably you know why he ended up filtering down the board a bit but we we do have the attitude there you know we we we, we have the uh he, he wants to contribute. He's, he's going to get his nose dirty, like stuff like that. Um, he's going to play for Mike Zimmer. He he loves cornerbacks like that. I mean, right. Mike Zimmer was probably not going to be drafting Greedy Williams, you know, no matter how far he fell, because he wants the tough nose kids. Um, I I can I comped uh, Boyd to uh, Darkies Denard. Um, yeah, uh, I, I just think you know in the seventh round, it's it's just an absolute no brainer. Um, you know, take a kid like that. So. We'll see what happens, but it's it's a decent landing spot for him, in my opinion. I think the other big storyline for for Texas fans is that Texas had nine players that went undrafted. Uh, the rest of obviously uh, eight of those were seniors, but Lil Jordan Humphrey declared early, uh, decided he was going to take his talents in the NFL. Had a bit of a lackluster pre-draft process um, and ended up going undrafted, being picked up by the Saints. Uh, so it seems like LJ may have gotten some bad advice. I don't know what um, what happened there. So from your perspective, uh, a guy who was a productive receiver in college, but maybe doesn't measure out like the rest of the guys. Like, why did uh, you know? Kind of how bad did, was the advice he got, and, and how does he fit into uh, what the Saints are trying to do, or potentially could do with a guy like him? Yeah, he got he got little Jordan got terrible advice. Um, he he was a guy coming into the process that did not have a great shot to get drafted. I mean, I. I ranked him 301, and I, I think I probably had him above some guys because I, you know, I saw I saw little Jordan, uh, you know, do some damage in the Big 12. You know, I'm, I'm a Big 12 guy. You know, I, like I mentioned before, I, I went to Kansas, and and for work, I covered college football. I, you know, I don't cover the NFL, and so like, you know, I, I watched watched a ton of that kid. I I like the skill set. Uh, it's just you know, in in, in transitioning to, to the NFL, the NFL does like their big power slot now you know they're going more and more towards that so maybe little jordan in his head was like man i i'm i'm what the nfl is looking for but the issue is is like you know a guy like aj brown obviously little jordan's got like four inches on on aj brown 
But uh, A.J. Brown also has weight on him, and he's A.J. Brown is super-duper athletic. Whereas Lil' Jordan, you know, he tested in the 11th percentile. That was no surprise at all. In fact, if Lil' Jordan had tested under the 10th percentile, I, I would not have been, uh, you know, terribly surprised. He's just not a very athletic dude. You know, in, in college, as a, as a big, you know, powerful sort of slot guy, I mean, you, you can do some real damage, especially in a conference like the Big 12. Uh, but when you're going to the next level with that, you know, with that lack of athleticism, it, it's just really, really hard to project. Now, the, the Saints are a good fit in that little Jordan can do some things. You know, it's it, like, you know, when you when you'd watch him in college, he, it, it's, just, it's a very unique skill set. And he also always offered that uh, <laughs> that sort of interesting dichotomy where it's name is little jordan and then you look at him you'd be like man that guy's big for me a will you know he, and, and and then the dichotomy of his game of his game itself you know being in the slot but being like a a guy that looked like you know this this this, this really big sort of power outside receiver um and like i said he he can do some stuff it's just if you're an nfl team there was all these like really good receivers that ended up going undrafted you know it was a very 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 deep wide receiver class it you know at the very top it didn't have like a a Megatron type guy, but, you know, even though tier one maybe was a little bit shallow, every tier after that uh, was stocked. And so, I, you know, I, I think, I think Lil Jordan did not self-evaluate uh, correctly. And I also, I also don't know how much he looked into the class itself because that was one of those situations where it was dead man walking the second he declared, um, you know, at best he had a coin flip shot of getting drafted. I don't, I don't even think it was a coin flip chance. You know, I, I rated him uh, 301 overall, and there's what? How many picks? 250 something. You know, I, I had him as the 50th whatever you know, undrafted free agent. You know, in my my pre-draft ranking. So, yeah, it it was it was a mistake, and it's really unfortunate because uh, you know Colin Johnson going back there, and, you know, you got Ellis your back, like all that different stuff. Like Texas is going to be fun next year. Texas is going to be super fun, and. You know, to have a guy like that, a big power slot, you know, the big 12 that we've already seen do a bunch of damage, it would have been really nice, you know, next to Johnson, but it is what it is. And you mentioned Colin Johnson in there. I think Lil Jordan's numbers uh, are direct indication of how much attention people had to pay to Colin Johnson week in and week out because he benefited from, we bracket the other big guy and Lil Jordan hurts us underneath. You saw it in some other weeks where they decided to bracket Lil Jordan and Colin went off for 150 yards and a couple of scores. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic to watch. So I know I know we're, um, we're we're talking little Jordan here, and it just came to me. I was thinking back to the old Saints teams, um, and one guy who I think benefited from the same type of under the radar and maybe bigger names, bigger guys who took the coverage but kind of took the league by storm. Do you think in a million years there's a chance? I was just looking at the 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 comps from the measurables. Um, Marcus Colston comes to mind, six five two twenty four. He ran a four five, so he certainly had a, a higher end forty yard dash, but a slower twenty yard. Um, and and uh, three cone as well as a slightly uh, lower broad jump and maybe similar vertical. So, I mean, just the, the, the physical stats come out pretty close. Um, do you think there's any any chance that little Jordan Humphrey could be Colston 2.0? No. I don't know um, I, because I, I think because of the athletic limitations, he's either got – you know, it, it's hard for me to even – not that I'm saying he can't play the slot in the NFL, because certainly he'll get snaps at the slot, you know, if if, if he makes a roster or whatever. But it, it's sort of it's hard to project him to be like, like really really good, like a standout there, just because you know in terms of athleticism, mm-hmm. he's always going to be on the lower end of the spectrum every time he steps sure. on the field. The interesting thing about the Saints is that you know they're they're so creative. With, with their players, you know, Taysom Hill coming out of BYU, for instance, was a guy that I thought had absolutely no chance. I mean, not, you know, to, you know, stick around the NFL, obviously he was crazy athletic, but it was like, man, I mean, is he going to switch to like defensive back? I, I can't really see Taysom like as a starting receiver. And so, but you know, the, the Saints gave him a shot and they figured it out because he was, he is super athletic. He had, he had this sort of disparate skill set. Little Jordan is not athletic, but again, he does, he can do a whole bunch of different things. He, you know, that's the thing that he has to overcome, but he can do some other things. And so could you see him as like a, you know, as, as sort of a non-traditional H back dash slot receiver type hybrid guy that can do just enough stuff to sort of stick around and, and contribute in some packages, maybe until he can develop enough, you know, to get more polished. Cause that's what that kid needs. He, 
he has to overcome so much just because of the lack of movement skills. Um, you know, if, if he can just do enough stuff early on, you know, as, as, as sort of a sub-package player, Sean Payton can find some use for him. Um, you know, then maybe we get that time to develop or, you know, he's, he's on the practice squad year one, hopefully he can make it on there. And then, you know, maybe after that, you know, Sean Payton can find some uses for him and maybe down the road he can do that. But yeah, I don't think he's ever going to be able to, to even take one snap on the outside in the NFL, just because the athleticism is just not there. And I, it's hard for me to envision him making plays downfield, you know? Awesome. So, uh, we are we are a college football podcast, so I have to ask you to switch gears for half a second. You you said a couple times you're a Kansas guy, uh, and so with the the short amount of time we have left, what is your what are your thoughts? How do you feel about Les Miles taking over the helm for your Jayhawks, and what are what are your expectations for that program? Like, how do you feel uh, that's going to go moving forward? Well, I appreciate the question because the last uh, month I just been talking about the nfl draft and boy am i excited to get back to college football which is my real sport my my real true love um and about the uh, the last mile higher i thought it was a disaster um i i think it's gonna be really bad um i i think i think the reason he got that job is because he's buds with jeff long and as uh as an alum of kansas um i i was highly disheartened by the way that process played out now i know a lot of the the sheep kind of kansas fans love the Les Miles hire because they've recognized, you know, the guy's name or whatever. Les Miles got run out of college football for a reason. You know, I mean, you know, when he was at LSU, he's, you know, the guy's a solid recruiter. And, you know, when he got to LSU, he, it's, it's pretty easy to recruit at LSU. You know, and, and schematically, you know, and th- th- this storyline is, is, is played at this point, but, like, the game did pass him by. You know, he's, he just was not able, even with uh, comparable talent to, you know, some of those SEC teams he was facing, Alabama and Auburn and all those kind of teams. He, he had comparable talent to him, but he couldn't out-scheme anyone. And, in fact, it, it went further than that where he would put handcuffs on his coordinators because he wanted to play a very specific kind of way. Now, he says, oh, you know, it's going to be different now. I've learned from my, you know, like all this different kind of stuff. Well, first of all, I'll believe it when I see it. Second of all, we'll see if this guy who was, you know, a dinosaur three or four years ago can now go to Kansas where you cannot win the way that you did at LSU. You will never have more talent than any other Big 12 school, maybe Iowa State, um, but you're always going to be at the very bottom in, in terms of raw talent. It doesn't matter how good of a recruiter you are, and there's no way that Les Miles is as good of a recruiter now as he was, you know, with 15 years lopped off of his age or 20 years lopped off of his age back in the day when he had way more energy. It's not like Les Miles is walking into, you know, like these 18-year-olds' living rooms, and they're like, oh, it's Les Miles. Like, they don't know Les Miles. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just not really a, a thing. And so I think, like, you know, some of these older fans and some of the older alumni of Kansas, like, he gets them really stoked. But the fact of the matter is he's not going to be bringing five stars to Kansas. He, you know, if he's lucky, he'll get three, four stars, maybe four or four stars in a class, the way you win at Kansas, Mark Fangino, he, you know, he laid out the blueprint. You have to find guys that fall through the cracks. They have to be very specific kind of guys. And he, he came down to Texas and, and pulled one of them that, that maybe the Longhorn program should have looked at and taught Reesing. You know, Akeem Talib is another example. Chris Harris, all, all these different guys that, that, you know, other schools just happen to overlook. You know, uh, Reesing, the reason that Texas didn't want him because he's, you know, 5'10 on stilts, you know, and he, he, he could only throw the ball 25 yards or whatever, but he was a heck of a quarterback. You know, he's, you know, like a, a homeless man's Drew Brees, you know, college version of uh, Drew Brees sort of a thing, and they, they made it work with him. Um, and, you know, develop, you know, re- uh, identifying guys in the recruiting process that fall through the cracks, the figure system, and then development. It's the only way to win a Kansas outside of the, the other one. And, and this was what my preference was for this, this coaching hire was, um, you know, if, if everybody else, if, 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 you know, you're, you're getting outgunned in this war, you're, you're, there's like 10 countries and all the other ones have way more ammo than you. And they're just blowing you out every time you step onto the field or whatever, you have to take it to guerrilla warfare. It's your only option. And so I've been advocating for this essentially for years, ever since, you know, Turner Gill came in and just torpedoed what Mangino had done ever since then you know, knowing what Kansas is up against and knowing that they're probably not going to be able to get another guy like Mark Mangino that, that can do um, the sort of Billy Bean thing in recruiting and then sort of, you know, develop everybody or whatever is go to the triple option. It's your only shot, you know, in, yeah. in, in this day and age, yeah. you know, going up against Texas, Oklahoma, like you, you're going to have no shot unless you play a different kind of a way. 
Um, and we saw we saw the issues that Oklahoma had with the triple option and uh, you know September sure. against Army, Army and stuff like that. I just thought it would have been absolutely yeah. brilliant, and it would have been like you know why do major league teams why do they like to have knuckleballers because you know every every you know fourth day fifth day or whatever you throw a knuckleballer there the, the day out you know it's not just that day where, where the, the hitters you know their timing screwed up it's the, it's the next game too it's just so difficult to prepare uh for a triple option offense and if you know these big 12 teams are only facing one per year in kansas i i just thought it could have caused uh some real problems but i I find it really hard to envision a way that Les Miles is going to have success at Kansas. I don't even know what that looks like because there's no way he's out recruiting the teams around him and he's never won any other way. Well, I'm glad to hear you're also in the Kansas should have hired Ken Niamatololo uh, camp because that is firmly where I, I sit as well. And I think Kyle's probably in the same corner as well. Yeah, or Todd Monken. Was you know was was a guy that I thought that they could have gone after, and he was a guy that I thought they could have gotten. You know, I mean, there was there was multiple guys. I mean, heck, Paul. Jo- why didn't you call Paul Johnson? You know, Paul Johnson. You know, supposedly retiring, but Georgia yeah. Tech didn't want Paul Johnson anymore. I mean, that f- fan base had been trying to get rid of him for a couple of years, even though he brought them to this you know sustained sustained level of success that they hadn't had in quite a while. You know, these these schools that get sick. You know, these fan bases that get sick of watching the triple option. I don't really understand why. I'll tell you, you guys, what I get sick of watching. I get sick of watching losses, you know. And I, Kansas alum who's obsessed with college football, I watched 12 games of Kansas football per year. That's why I was watching that game with the men who was was basically Kansas football's one moment in the sun of the last decade or whatever, um, you know. And it, it just gets, you know, I watched them lose to Nickel State in the opener this year. It just gets hard, you know, over and over and over again to win two games and and my thought is let's try winning you know let's try let's try doing something else this this old way hasn't worked and instead of doing that they they went even further down you know the the sort of old school path if i'm wrong i will be so thrilled to 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 be wrong i'll just be so tickled but uh it it, like i said it's just really hard for me to envision a path to success there for for a guy who's only ever won in this one specific kind of way that he just categorically will not and cannot win Kansas that way. I love it. Also, Thor, thank you so much. I know you've got a hard out. So uh, where can the folks find you if they want to get more of your work? Yeah. Thanks guys. Yeah. This was a blast. Thanks for having me on. Um, You can find you. If you guys are interested in the NFL draft, go to Roto world NFL draft section. We have all of our stuff up there. Um, I have my NFL draft grades. Um, Call them up there. Uh, Cowboys fans, you, you probably won't want to look at that. I uh, Cowboys fans <laughs> are quite angry at me on, on Twitter right now. Unfortunately, I had to fail the, the Cowboys class. I was a little little nicer to the Texans class. I thought the Texans did, did some okay stuff. You can see that. You see my top 500 board. My, my top 500 board, uh, I have comps for every player, RAS scores for every player, spark for every play I'm, I'm talking i'm talking the fifth punter in the class i had a comp for so if, if you guys are interested in that you want to see like who your team got and then who i comped them to um and then you can also find me on twitter i put all my links all my stuff up there at thorku uh t-h-o-r-k-u and yes that that's a reference to my undergrad rock jock <laughs> love it thor thank you again so much man we really appreciate you taking some time appreciate it guys take it easy so of those that, that we didn't get to discuss with Thor, great stuff. Uh, but we had Gary Johnson ended up in the up with the Kansas City Chiefs signing as a undrafted free agent. You've got Calvin Anderson to the Patriots, which breaks my heart. Andrew Beck also to the Patriots, which they have this thing for Texas tight ends, which, again, can't blame them for doing so. Devontae Davis at the Seahawks. Breck Hager taking his talents to New York. That guy's going to fit in in New York like a sore thumb. Patrick Vahe to the Ravens. Uh, Chris Nelson to the Steelers. One of 12 NFL teams uh, running a 3-4 scheme, which is exactly what he's meant for. You can actually check out my draft preview where I talk about that as well. And then PJ Locke, the day of the recording. So Monday, signed a uh, free agent tender with the Steelers. So he is going to be there at rookie camps. All these guys fighting for a roster spot. Um... So, Kyle, I think for you, like, who of these guys is the most surprising that didn't get drafted? And who are you um, excited to see get a chance to shine? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the easy one or maybe two right here is is little Jordan Humphrey, who we who we talked about with Thor. I, I think maybe having watched him week in, week out, we get a different perspective than guys whose job 
are to grade players, and I mean that both in the the draft experts and truly GMs. I mean, I think it's easy to look at at Lil Jordan and, and through the the kind of process from the day he he played his last snap for UT until um, the draft. I think um, it, it's easy to see a case study and what not to do. Um, I think obviously the the uh, the times weren't great. Some of the interviews weren't fantastic. Um, just a couple things that that probably you know had they gone differently may have. Uh, may have allowed him to sneak onto a team. I think I think the Saints is a great position for him. I think he I, I described him on another podcast as having Emmett Smith speed. The guy doesn't grade out fast, but he I never saw him get caught from behind. I mean he's uh, he's got game speed. He's got great hands. I think he's going to have a have a good chance. Um, but I think if I'm being honest, the guy who I'm truly most excited about I think uh, is Gary Johnson. I think Gary Johnson is a guy who um, can can honestly carve out very very early if you don't know the uh the chiefs have a a long history of of longhorn linebackers named johnson um one of our all-time favorites and derek here but uh i think gary johnson with the situation that they are in with the chiefs has a chance to come right in uh even as an undrafted free agent and maybe carve out playing time for himself you know a couple weeks into the season he's um he's in a really good spot and you know i think obviously we've seen how he's the the kind of future tweener type linebacker that the nfl is looking for with that amazing speed uh that he put up and uh and just you know the 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 heart and and plays we saw him make all season yeah i think gary johnson's the one that jumps off the page for me it's an interesting pickup because you know under andy reed in the previous several seasons uh they've been running a 3-4 which is kind of what gary johnson uh is at he's kind of that that speedy outside uh, 3-4 linebacker and they just hired steve spagnolo who is a traditional 4-3 guy so uh that could one either signal that spagnolo is going to keep running the 3-4 which would make a little bit of sense in the afc west because that is a conference of, or a division among many that is going to be airing the ball out. Uh, but I think Gary Johnson's another guy. And I think there's not a ton of surprise elsewhere. I'm going to be really honest with you. I think Chris Nelson going undrafted, we knew that was probably going to happen. Uh, Breck Hager did not have a lot of smoke. Uh, Patrick Vahe, as much as I loved him on the University of Texas campus, like, he just he didn't get invited to you know any of the pre-draft processes. Um, I think like you, you hit the nail on the head with Gary Johnson. He was a combine guy. He was a guy that we thought would end up um, in the NFL draft. I think Calvin Anderson and Andrew Beck. Anytime the Patriots pick somebody up, I assume they see something that everybody else doesn't. And so those guys being projects there is uh, something to look out for. So I'm really excited. Uh, and then we obviously have Texas already has a lot of uh, presence on the Baltimore Ravens. So seeing Vahe yeah. there is, is a good feeling to, to keep the Texas train running uh, in B-more. You know what the nice thing is when I look at a lot of those teams, we had two guys on the Patriots, um, another Longhorn to the Seahawks, two Steelers, Ravens. Again, Breck Hager, who loved the guy, could be a special teams wonder with his effort. I don't think is is long for the NFL, um, so I don't really put the Giants in that group. But I mean, you have a bunch of in, in Humphrey to the to the Saints. Honestly, you have a bunch of the, some of the best GMs and best run organizations in the NFL. Um, and that says something. Um, it's kind of been we've had folks talk to us who are who are you know draft nicks and and there's been think pieces written about it for a while that Texas has been kind of the um, the bargain bin where you can get a guy who's probably a fifth round talent um, in the undrafted free agency. It's always the first guys who get called as soon as you know the draft ends are a bunch of Texas guys who you can get uh, for a little cheaper discount on the undrafted free agency, and many of them go on to have. Uh, great career some of them better careers in the nfl than they had at ut which again is indicative of the past 10 years at ut um but you know i I do think there's some names on here that i look you know a nelson or pj Locke or um or you know just any either of those two guys who are are both very smart and good character guys anderson and beck on the patriots who could stick around and 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 carve their niche out i mean hey andrew beck is a like for like gronkowski replacement makes sense to me i I think it feels good and again these are Guys that are going to fight for a roster spot. We'll talk a little bit more about it. Like, no matter what happens from here on out, they have kind of achieved a lifelong dream because they are going to get to suit up for an NFL team. That's, I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and to transition briefly, we, we did talk about with Thor, the two guys drafting. Congratulations to them as they are on NFL rosters. But my favorite of the bunch, obviously, sitting here right now in Houston, Texas, is Chuck I still think Chuck could have gone a round or two earlier, but Chuck going uh, to the Texans, and it, and it made me do a little research, and it, it became time for another round of give Gerald unexpected 
trivia. So, Gerald, um, he is not the first person drafted by uh, the Houston Texans franchise out of the University of Texas. He's actually the fifth Longhorn. Can you name any of the other four? And really, optimally, we're, we're looking for four out of four, but one is going to be... I would I would uh I'll give you two bucks if you get all of them um can you name the other four Longhorns drafted by the Texans so the easy one's Deontay Foreman that's the easy one uh let's see man I was I was no way shape or form prepared for this uh (laughs) that's why I love it I love it the uh, the cold trivia it's very mean of me to do this and and honestly there's one of these that I had to double check I thought it was a typo so I didn't expect you to get all four I you you want I have nothing. I don't want to waste podcast space with dead air. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you two because you love both of these guys. Obviously, uh, the one that I got that I, I obviously a foreman I knew, and then Casey stuttered in 07, yep. um, which which I remember just because I was rooting for that guy. Frank Okam, your boy, in 2008, um, which you know should have been a great fit. I really I don't think he had the, the career that I hoped he had. But the one that, that threw me off was in 2004, way back in this franchise's inf- infancy, uh, Sloan Thomas was drafted by the Houston Texans. So that was the million dollar pick or two dollar in this case pick. If you would have if you would have pulled Sloan out of there, I would have been utterly perplexed. But so there you go, little little trivia uh, NFL draft, and again, congrats to Chuck. Yeah, I I was not long for that at. <laughs> All. So uh, a little bit more football news very briefly. We're not going to spend much time on this. Uh, but Texas Longhorn great Brian Robison uh, announced his retirement from the NFL. He signed a one-day contract. He played quite a big portion of his NFL career with the Minnesota Vikings. I think his entire career, uh, to 2007 through 2017, did not play in the 2018 season, unfortunately. Uh, he was released, and then they signed him to a one-day contract so he could retire as part of the team. Uh, incredible career from Brian Robinson. Uh, and one of the, I'm just going to say it, probably the owner of the most random set of statistics through his high school and college career. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a dude who who was not limited to football. Um, Robinson still, still holds the Texas State High School discus record to this day at 215 feet and two inches, not to mention his four years at forward in basketball, uh, as well as, uh, you know, uh, pitching on the baseball team, which seems uh, absolutely intimidating um, to see that man throwing at you. Um, but he played all over, uh, even even played some offense. You know, he's, he's known as a defensive uh, monster uh, throughout his career, but played some offense as well, a lot of tight end, a little bit of running back, actually averaged over his career 11 yards per carry while in high school, and then, of course, went on, um, you know, to to be one of the best recruiting classes of, of all time, I think legitimately, not just in Texas history, but like we mentioned, Casey Studdard, Rod Wright, obviously Vince Young, David Thomas, Aaron Ross, Justin Blaylock, I mean, just a stack team that, that led directly to a championship team. He was a, uh, a major part of that locker room as well as contributing on the field. Um, really, you know, after, after redshirting his redshirt freshman year for, for four years. So, um, a, a fantastic Longhorn who went on to carve out a really nice NFL career. So congrats to, uh, congrats to him and enjoy the well-earned retirement. Yeah. I mean, I, I love to look at like his track and field statistics, which is funny because he got what second place in the NCAAs and shot put, and I haven't looked at the track and field record books this year, but at last check, he had the seventh longest uh, discus throw in University of Texas history. Uh, throwing fifty nine sixty nine uh, was his uh, his his throw there, which again incredible. You you rarely see the lineman with the dual sport athlete. Yeah, the uh, the shot put discus uh, all around combo from him. He's he he can throw things as well as offensive linemen. But I still think his his uh, white guy with with uh, cornrows is is maybe his most impressive feat. Whoever his barber was in Austin needed a raise because that dude had the cleanest pencil thin chin strap. <laughs> that was just, it was just it was pure jagged edge. But like the white chocolate version of Jacket Edge. But let's move Wait, on before we get can, even can, more politically incorrect. I know the people. Sorry, I, do, I I have to pause you there, Gerald. The the one thing that I know we're going to get tweeted at, and feel free tweet us hashtag replies to Texas. Um, if we don't mention is the hit that he had on Rhett Bomar. Um, we'll, we'll we'll have to tweet that out uh, after the show because there's no excuse not to. 
um, reminisce on on his hit on on Rhett Bomar that actually caused dollar bills to fall out of his pockets. Um, but just just to, if he did nothing else, he would have been a legend just for the hit. So funny enough, you mentioned that. If you think back to our episode where we talked about our favorite plays from the Red River rivalry, that is one of my all-time favorite plays because the man, the myth, the legend, Rod Wright scored a touchdown, running the best. 60 yards and all defensive lineman has ever run. Uh, I don't think he came back onto the field after that because Texas was up 44 to 12 at that point, but uh, it was just incredible. So yeah, thank you for the memories BR. And I think I'm going to go tiny little chin strap. I think it's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring it back in the spirit of Brian Robinson. Uh, Don't tell my wife though. (laughs) So baseball, uh, they Kyle, I'm, I'm, running out of ways to to talk about this baseball team. So uh, they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory in the midweek game against Texas state. And then they did the same thing Friday and Saturday to extend their losing streak to six games longest under head coach, David Pierce. Uh, It was just, it was a breakdown of the relief pitching. They finally on Sunday decided to get their heads on straight and play like they should have all season. Uh, got a much needed 10 to 2 win to they didn't win the series but they salvaged some sort and saved a little bit of face. Uh, so Kyle, we I think we have to talk about the relief pitching. Like I think that's what we have to do here, right? I, I don't know what cuz you take a perfect game into the 6th. Yeah. You get you have a 3-run lead going into the 8th. Yeah. And you lose those games. Like, I, I don't know what else to talk about there. And, and it's tough because we can't really – there isn't a singular scapegoat that we have here where we can say um, the issue, you know, was with this guy or that guy. The issue is with the bullpen at, at, at large. And, again, that's that's not a new thing. We have to be able to figure this out. And, and obviously, Cole Quintanilla giving up, you know, four in the night to Texas State is terrible. But – when you look at the implications that ripple down further in the the kind of showdown, the marquee showdown against the Mountaineers, they threw out their best weapon, uh, Alec uh, Manoa, who's who's a top probably 15 type prospect in this year's MLB draft. He's this coming off a week where he was the national pitcher of the week. Um, Bryce Elder outdueled him, I think, or at least went pitch for pitch, but he, he was left in the game. He gave up a two-run homer at pitch number 120 for a, for a sophomore in, in college. I mean, that's a that's a pretty monstrous pitch count when, again, you're looking across and you have to go pitch for pitch with a guy who has twice been named the National Pitcher of the Year, or excuse me, of the week. Um, so, I mean, it, it was kind of an impossible situation, but I don't think Pierce makes that decision to leave him in there, even as, as much as he's dealing. Um if he doesn't have some some palpitations about who's coming after him in that bullpen, and, and there was there was flashes where we could blame Cam Fields. He's been also Cam Fields has been phenomenal in the beginning of the year. There's Cole Quintanilla was you know our ace who was averaging like two strikeouts an inning, and and it, and it hasn't been him. There really hasn't been a guy, a single guy who you can say, well at least he's been good. Let's give it to him. They haven't. They don't have a, a closer, and I don't know if that's a mentality issue. One of those guys in the pen just doesn't have the the view that okay I can take a game and I know that's nerve wracking. It's like a goalie in in hockey or soccer. You know, it's like it's it's the it's the cerebral as much as the physical when you're in that position. But I mean, it's it's a little bit inexcusable at this point that we haven't been able to at least get someone you know identified who is that guy. Give him the confident boost of saying, all right, you're going to get the ball every game. Go do something with it. Um, but it's also no one stepping up and taking it. So I, I don't know whether to blame Coach Pierce or to blame these pitchers. But, I mean, ultimately, it's it's a mess. Um, and and six-game losing streak is, is, you know, unacceptable for a team that, what, two months ago or really a month ago, we were talking about what they're running the, in the, you know, in the postseason college world series needed to, to really succeed. We were, we were naively just looking ahead to that, whereas now – the, the ninth team in the Big 12 doesn't get a place in the eight-team Big 12 postseason tournament, and that's legitimately a threat that we, we finished dead last in the Big 12. And that's just – I'm hoping that, that breaking this, this streak, the players looked excited, looked happy to get a win. The bats came alive a little bit. Maybe, maybe that's something. Maybe that's a turn. But at this point, I, I'm not ready to to hitch any hopes onto a red herring and 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 be burned here because I just this is an an inex, inexplicable uh, second half to this baseball season. I just I, I can't comprehend it. 
the relief pitching and, and what's happened there in the bullpen is tough. But in the two losses against uh, West Virginia, Texas left 15 on base. Like that's a, that's huge. Like they left 15 on base. And, and if you can get again, one of those guys in, in each game, you're looking at a different situation. So I think the inability to capitalize with runners in spots to score, or at least on base is frustrating because in a game, again, they should have had a bigger lead on Friday. Like it shouldn't have been up to one. I'm just going to say it after a guy goes six, perfect one bad pitch changes the pace of that game. Like the, the bats should have been there. Uh, and then again, on Saturday, like again, they put up eight runs, which is great, but leaving eight on base is not going to get it done. You could have had nine or 10 to give you a little bit extra cushion there. Cause you saw on Sunday, they have the ability to put double digits on the board and they've done it a couple of different times in the season. So it's really uh, problematic to see them leaving guys stranded to, especially when they're losing one run games. It's been one run game after one run game after one run game. And they have tons of guys that they leave on base. That to me uh, is inexcusable. And so, I mean, West Virginia is a very good team. They're a top 20 team. I mean, they might get a little bump here and be a top 15 team after this weekend. The nice thing that Texas has to look forward to is that they get Kansas, the only team that is currently one game back below them. So a, a sweep would be nice, but it's on the road. We've been saying they're better at home. Again, they just lost two at home. But, I mean, they get they get A&M Corpus Christi in the midweek. Let's hope they don't lose another midweek. And then they get, they get Kansas, who is a team that they should legitimately sweep. They get Texas State, Incarnate Word, and then Oklahoma uh, at home. That's the season. That's all we have left. I, I almost feel like they need to win, you know, nine out of nine to, to finish off the season um, at this point. Like, or at least get two out of three against OU. Get eight out of nine out of this final, or, you know, there's there's nothing left. Yeah, I think if they can win four of six of the Big 12 games, whatever, wherever that combination comes, whether it's a three and one or a two and two, I feel more confident uh, in this team's ability. I think they have to do that. They have to do that to avoid that nine spot. Like, that's the thing. If they can sweep Kansas or come up with a 2-1 win over Kansas and then not get swept by OU, yeah. I think they're in fine position to, to, to make it into the tournament. But, again, they have to be more consistent. They have to string together both the bats and the pitching or none of it matters. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, I, I I guess making it into the tournament is such a such a low into the Big Twelve tournament. Let me re- reiterate, is such a low bar for an organization like the Texas baseball team. Texas football is great. Texas basketball has its moments. Whatever. Texas baseball is our most consistent program. We are the actual Joneses forever, all time. In baseball, there's very few who even you know can can tie our shoelaces. So this is this is just not okay. Um, and again, I hate to be negative here. Um, I do, I do think again they they have nine games to to change my mind and and really their own minds and whatever they build on for this season. It's a lot of young talent. We'll talk about it in our postseason kind of recap. They're building for next year. They're building for Coach Pierce kind of foundation of this team. You know what comes next. So I mean they, they're playing for a lot here, but I, I don't necessarily think they're playing for uh, for Omaha. But Hey, prove me wrong. Win the tournament. Prove me wrong. Go get hot, uh, and I will. I will happily grow. We felt the same way about last year's team in spots, so we have to really uh, be cognizant of that. Now, granted, you can't compare these two teams, uh, but now's the time in the show where we take you through all of the sports that don't necessarily get the shine that they should, and we down the forty. So, number six, men's golf. They had a little bit of a struggle in the Big Twelve tournament. They Finished the tournament number three behind uh, top-ranked Oklahoma State. That one is acceptable. Uh, And then behind number 33, Texas Christian, which is a little bit less acceptable as they Texas golf has been good all year. Cole Hammer finished tied for third. So we're going to get a postseason announcement this Wednesday, uh, May 1st at 8 p.m. on the Golf Channel. So you can check that out. Number two, women's golf already found out where they are heading. They are the number one seed in the NCAA Norman Regional, which is played, again, away from the the home team or the number one seed's home course. So it's going to be at the Jimmy Austin OU Golf Club, May 6th through the 8th. That's a Monday. Uh, 
Sixth through the eighth is three days, so that'd be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, I'd have to confirm. Let's do a quick check. Sorry, uh, that doesn't make sense. Uh, Texas, it's women's golf schedule. Yeah, sorry about that. I think it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or maybe Sunday, Monday, Tuesday as well. So let me double check. It is May, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, six, seventh, eighth, perfect. Number two women's golf is actually the top seed of the NCAA women's golf tournament that will be played at the NCAA Norman Regional. So they'll have to travel north of the border. Uh, it's going to take place at the Jimmy Austin OU Golf Club, May 6th to the 8th. That's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday affair. They tied for 12th in last year's tournament, hoping to improve on their stay for this year. Hey, and, and even though they don't get to be at home, at least they get to be uh, at a, at a- course called austin but how how sooner of them to name their golf course after a longhorn i don't know that he's a longhorn but his name's austin so should be a little bit of home home course advantage i do think though stanford is also a number one seed and they're in like the michigan regional so it's weird it's uh, I, I those those seedings were odd to me if anyone wants to tweet us with some explanations please do if you're in Norman for the tournament, check out Cafe Amazonia. It's incredible Venezuelan food. Just do it. Hashtag bang the drum on some Venezuelan food. Uh, women's tennis earns the overall number nine seed in, in the NCAA tournament. They're going to host the first and second rounds this Saturday and Sunday. They're opening with the most confusing team name in the tournament. I'll just go and say it. Long Island University Brooklyn Campus. <laughs> Because those are two separate boroughs. Yeah, I, I had to Google that because the, everywhere I looked just called it LIU Brooklyn for a while. I really had to dig deep to find what that is. They are the Blackbirds, apparently. Um, but, you know, it still is not my favorite uh, conglomerated location. That would, of course, be IUPUI, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. Um, but it's pretty close. Who doesn't love a good ooey pooey? Uh, men's tennis got the number two seed in the NCAA tournament. They are also going to be hosting. So it'll be a crowded Saturday, Sunday at the Tennis Center. They're the number two overall seed. They're going to open with a less confusingly named team, Tennessee Tech, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. If you remember men's baseball last year, knocked Tennessee Tech out of the uh, baseball tournament. So maybe they'll have a vendetta. But uh, the uh, the men's tennis team is, is very, very good. So uh, I, I feel okay with that. Number four, rowing won three races to win the Longhorn Invite. Men's basketball, Darren Horn, who is kind of responsible for the development of the last few big Texas big men, uh, Jared Allen, Mo Bamba, and Jackson Hayes, who was kind of a not a rags to riches story because that's not an accurate description. Uh, but he was the less touted recruit and end up ended up being a one and done potential lottery pick. So Darren Horn, after four seasons at Texas, is taking his talents to the bluegrass to coach Northern Kentucky. And now's the part of the week where Kyle takes you through our softball update. Kyle, what you got for us this week? Well, I'll just say this, uh, Texas softball, um, got, they got where we needed. I think all, all season, many people have been, you know, putting this on their calendars. We finally got there guys. It has happened. Um, it was a little, it was a little touch and go there as the the midweek game against Prairie View A and M looked like a good opportunity, uh, but was rained out. Uh, and so, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, the first game against Kansas Jayhawks didn't happen. But in the second game, you all know what stat I'm talking about, of course. But I'll say it anyways. Texas recorded their school record, fifteenth run rule, never done it before. 2011, 2014, they got fourteen. This year, 15, with games to go. We're going to get it to 20. 15 run rules against, again, one of the, like a top 20 strength of schedule shows that the 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 White Mike era in Austin is doing good things. In the most recent RPI, Texas is sitting at fifth. At, that may be just outside hosting an NCAA regional like the tennis teams. Uh, but, you know, there's still a little time. They can still improve that against teams that aren't Oklahoma they are untouchable. So I'm so proud. 15 run rules. Fantastic. I love it. And so now we're going to honor one of the best traditions 
in all of college athletic big bertha and we bang the drum brought to you by joe ruiz so kyle what are you banging the drum on this week well gerald it may be our own our own drum that's monotonously played but what 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 do we say over and over here we say we are a kicking and punting podcast we're a women's sports podcast but but to a greater extent we are a kicking and punting podcast and so i don't actually have the goat mike dixon news this week but what i do have for you is a little good news um a little a little good news for one of our all-time favorites in securing the bag mr justin tucker signed a uh <clears throat> A $23 million extension. That's a uh, that's an NFL record for kicker. So for all of you uh, players out there who, who may be kickers and you, uh, you're you thinking, how do I make it big? How do I live the dream? How do I get uh, you know to sing operatic solos in Dr. Pepper commercials? Justin Tucker has laid out the blueprint. Don't feel like you have to play soccer. For every, for every Weston McKinney, there's a Freddie Adu. You can play football and kick the football and still make millions upon millions and justin tucker as we saw is also breeding the future probably class of 2040 let's say 2039 his son drilled uh we saw last week he posted a picture of him drilling a kick through the upright so future leg of texas i am just here for the continued legacy of longhorns on the special teams you forgot his rightful title that is justin aggies bane tucker that is his (laughs) full god-given name no i'm i'm glad to see it found out he was a music major in college which is also something that's just really cool no 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 i I wasn't kidding have you heard him sing you should you should immediately youtube it he is a actually an impeccable soprano i believe he is an a classically trained operatic singer he is un like unbelievably talented he's multifaceted talented like i'm talking when we finish this podcast Go Google Justin Tucker opera and be prepared to feel immediately worse about the things you've accomplished in your life. Uh, he's a bass baritone, so other end of the spectrum. Like I know the difference between those, okay? I just know the guy sings. <laughs> it's uh, high and low is where we're going. So I'm banging the drum uh, this week on one of those guys that uh, was an undrafted free agent after the NFL draft, PJ Locke. So he uh, posted on Twitter something that I thought was really cool. So in March of 2011, uh, he had a dream to play the NFL. And so he and his dad wrote up a contract for him. And it, and it said, uh, basically, I will do whatever it takes and make all necessary sacrifices to fulfill my dreams of playing in the National Football League. And he signed it and his dad signed it. Uh, and then eight years later, he has that still. And got to post it on Twitter the day that he signed to shoot for an NFL spot. And it he hasn't fully achieved the goal, but he has, play, he has been in more NFL locker rooms than I have at this point in his life. So, uh, I, uh, other than my bachelor party at Cowboy Stadium, he's been in more <laughs> NFL locker rooms than I have. Uh, but no, so like that to me is so cool because one, like seeing parents so invested in their kids' success and future, me like, hey, you can do this, but it's going to take sacrifice. And like, hey, let's put some accountability and some uh, on paper on purpose, like Dave Ramsey says, for your budget, right? So let's get it down on paper so we can actually uh, see this thing through. And just getting to see people live out their dreams is one of the coolest things in the world. Yeah, I mean, good on you, PJ Locke, a dude who did the work. That's the that's the part that you can't deny. That contract said, "I'm doing the work." And you look at his combine or his uh, his pro day times. You look at um, kind of where he is and and where he's going. And if it's if it's a matter of of hustle, work ethic, grit, sweat, you know, there is no doubt in my mind that he's got enough of it. Uh, if those were the only things that he would have a 20 year NFL career. So the the work is there now. He just needs the opportunity. But fantastic, good on you, uh, and congrats. Indeed. So that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on um, classical opera forums, um, educating myself after my embarrassment. At GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can always shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. If you've got a question for us or feedback and you send it via Twitter, always use the hashtag replies of Texas so you know we can see those from you. And you can check me out on my Nerd News podcast. We'll be recording it tomorrow night. We're going to break down Avengers, Endgame, and 
Game of Thrones, The Long Night, the big Battle of Winterfell episodes. Those are coming to you this Wednesday. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. No spoilers.